good. All right. If you're there, verse 1, please say amen. amen. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him. Because, uh, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him great glory. Give him glory, excuse me. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord, as we turn our hearts and our minds now to your word. I pray that you would, uh, Lord, deal with all of the things that would hinder us, whether the cares of this life, the burdens of this world, whether it's uh, distractions even in the room, anything that would hinder, Lord, that you would subdue it, that we would hear by your spirit as you teach us your word, that we would continue to be transformed and conform more and more to your image. We love you. We thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be seated. And so as we look at this, the chapter that um, many of us have desire to get to uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. In fact, the next four chapters are some of the sweetest and most amazing chapters in all of the scripture because it's here that we see many wonderful things. The Lord's return, obviously, um, the establishment of his kingdom on earth for a thousand years, um, the descent out of heaven of the new city, Jerusalem, in chapter 21. And then in chapter 22, we see all uh, eternity beginning, all these wonderful and glorious things that we see are awesome. And, you know, as we've been together throughout all of this, all of the book of Revelation has simply blessed us. You know, this is the book of the Bible that has with it a divine blessing from chapter 1, verse 3. Y'all know that. You can go back and look at it in your own time. And I know that it has blessed us in many, many, many wonderful ways. Um, and so as we begin, notice in verse 1, we have this familiar phrase, after these things, which in the Greek is metatalto. You know, we've talked about that quite a bit. You remember Jesus used this phrase in his outline that he gave us for the book of Revelation. He gave us a very simple outline to John back in chapter 1, verse 19. 
And so we pick up on it here. And this phrase seems to denote a change, if you will, in seasons, um, moving from one thing to the next. Remember the outline that Jesus gave us. He said, John, write the things which you have seen, past tense, the things which are present tense and the things which must take place after this metatalta, which is the future part of it. Y'all remember that, right? And so we just for the sake of review, the beautiful, simple outline is laid out. The things which you have seen past tense for John was what we saw in chapter one, which was John as he was caught up in the spirit unto the day of the Lord. And he began, let's, let's focus. And he began, <laughs> and me too, we got to stay focused. And he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ as Jesus displayed himself, if you will, um, in ways that we can see his nature and his character um, and, and, and the truths about him as well as how he interacts with his church. Just for the place of rehearsing those things, you remember Jesus showed himself as having a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And we saw that that represented the fact that Jesus has the power of the word of God. He is the living word of God. And so we saw the power of that, of course, uh, in that statement. Remember, Jesus presented himself with eyes of flame of fire, which represented the fact that at his gaze, nothing is hidden. Everything is open. He sees everything just as it is, which is very wonderful, actually, because that means Jesus knows you. He knows me. As I am this morning, everything you're going through, everything you're dealing with, the Lord already knows it, which means that you can come to him. He already knows it, and he still loves you and wants you to come to him. Isn't that amazing? So he showed us that. We also saw Jesus with his feet of, uh, of bronze. And, you know, you're thinking about the, the, the fact that he walked, if you will, the judgment of taking all of our sin to the cross. Uh, his hair like wool, remember, uh, speaking of his sovereign, eternal presence and all of those wonderful things. But then we saw him walking in the midst of the t uh, seven golden lampstands. I remember that Jesus in the midst of his church, which is beautiful. So therefore, Jesus is always involved in and knows everything that's going on within his church. That's so wonderful. Plus, he's preeminent. It's all about him. The church is not about us, right? We know that. Um, and he holds the messengers, praise the Lord, in his right hand. All of that stuff we've already looked at. And so that was the past tense part for John. But then Jesus says, John, also write the things which are. Remember, that was chapter 2 and chapter 3 as Jesus dictated to John seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, which were seven literal churches at that time, but also donates seven conditions that are prevalent within the church, within congregations, within believers. And um, it also gives us a little bit of a picture towards the progression of the church through the age of the church. We are currently today, as you sit here, still living, if you will, in the second part of the outline of the book of Revelation because we're still in the church age. And the church age is distinct from the age which is to come. Y'all know that, right? And the final part of the outline in chapter 1, verse 19, was the things which must take place after this, which is our Greek phrase, metatalta, that we're looking at here. After this, which literally meant after this church age, these are the things which will take place. So after the age of the church, this age of grace is over, these things will happen. And it began to unfold with several things. Remember chapter four, I call it the orientation 
for the church because it was there that we began to get acclimated with heaven. There is one throne and one sitting on the throne. Remember, there was a door open in heaven. John was caught up to see this, which is kind of a picture, if you will, of the church being caught up there. And he saw all of these things. It was wonderful. He saw the worship that was unfolding up there and and how it was going. And then chapter five, I call literally the um, inauguration of Jesus Christ as he There was a ceremony and he took the scroll out of his father's hand because nobody else was found worthy. And then he began to open it and unleash judgment upon the world who had rejected Christ. Y'all remember that. So then from chapter six to chapter 18, which we just finished, was Jesus unleashing wrath. Remember, it's called the wrath of the who? The lamb. Lambs aren't that wrathful, are they? (laughs) Not generally speaking. But it was the wrath of the lamb. And so we saw that unfold. And so now, as we move into chapter 19, we're still in the third part overall of the simple outline that Jesus gave us. But now as it progresses, we're leaving the tribulation, going into this glorious, glorious time. And so after these things, after the judgment of the tribulation period in which the earth now, remember, before we go forward in chapter 19, the earth is now devastated. We can't forget that. It's not business as usual on the earth anymore. The earth is in ruins. It is literally dying. Those who took the mark of the beast are breaking out into loathsome sores. Two-thirds of the population of 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 the human population that went into the tribulation is already dead for various reasons. Uh, Most of those who came to faith have lost their lives for their faith during the tribulation. Remember that the earth has been scorched with the heat of the sun. All of the water has been uh, turned to blood. All of the sea creatures are dead. There is no longer the process that God put in place to circulate oxygen around the globe and distribute water. That's not happening anymore. So the, the atmosphere of the earth is now toxic. The earth is probably wobbling on its axis. Earthquakes have happened. Everything has come to a complete, utter destruction on the earth, and it is darkened. That's the scene on the earth for all who have rejected Christ. But meanwhile, in the city of which we who are saved have our citizenship, all praise is breaking out. Look at verse 1 again. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude from heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, honor, and power belong to the Lord our God. And so this praise begins to break out in heaven with this great multitude. Now, as we go through this, there are four of these hallelujahs. The first two are from this first group here that's being mentioned. And then we see this other groups come in to the the extent it's, it's subtle, but there's almost a progression and intensifying of this worship as we go. And so this first group, this great multitude, who are they specifically? One of the things that we sometimes make a mistake when we go through the book of Revelation is we just group everybody in heaven as one one group with no distinction. And it is one big group and everybody's happy and blessed to be there because, look, to make it up there is going to be a good thing. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be down here any longer than you really have to be. I mean, we enjoy what we have while we have it. But let's face it, the spirit is bearing witness with us that there's way more ahead than behind. Who is this group? The last time we saw the great multitude mentioned, it was speaking of a specific group, which was back in chapter 7. And it was a group that was standing before the throne that came out of every nation, every tribe, and every every tribe, and every tongue. 
meaning people from all over the globe. Remember, we talked about that. And the elder looked at John and says, well, John, who are these? And he says, I don't know. You know. And he said, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation who have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. It was a particular group of people that were mentioned. Later, we're going to see the 24 elders being mentioned again, which we saw them singing back in chapter 5 and saying that you've redeemed us out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. So we've seen both of those, and the elders up there representing the church as a whole, it seems. So we see them here in this chapter too. And one of the things I want to draw your, your attention to, which we've looked at in the earlier chapters, is that God does make distinctions within the camp of believers. And it's something that we need to understand because I believe it's important to him. We've seen it even in the book of Revelation. But let me back all the way up. Listen, just on a large scale, we have Old Testament saints and we have New Testament saints. What do you mean? Well, the Old Testament saints are those who died in faith in the Old Testament. And they didn't go immediately to heaven. They went to Abraham's bosom. And they, they went there. It was a place called paradise because they died in faith. In fact, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, uh, but he was not born again. So they went to Abraham's bosom, the place of paradise. Remember, Jesus took the thief there first. He had to stop off there, if you will. He said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't mean heaven immediately. He went where they was at, the Old Testament saints. They couldn't go to heaven until Jesus paid the price for sin. And then at his resurrection... Abraham's bosom was emptied and they went to heaven. That's the Old Testament saints. And, and there's a distinction. Jesus says uh, amongst those born a woman, ain't nobody greater than John. But, but then the least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than John. And so there's a distinction being made. So then you have New Testament saints. Well, who are the New Testament saints? They, that's us who get saved in this age and we are born again. The spirit poured out into our hearts crying Abba or Daddy, if you will, in Hebrew. And so it's the New Testament saints. And, and, and even though we're all one family in heaven, which is a great thing, there is a distinction. When we get into the book of Revelation, it seems as though God has a specific distinction even for those who have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, those who were under the altar who had lost their lives for their faith were crying out, Lord, how long before you avenge our blood against those who live on the earth? Y'all not if you remember this. And he said, not long, and he gave them white robes. Y'all remember that. So throughout the book of Revelation, there seems to be a bit of a distinction with those who are martyrs. And then we have even the 144, which were Jews during the tribulation. They had their own song. And so these distinctions seem to be distinctions that God makes with those based upon their own experience with him, which doesn't change anything. There's no greater group than the other group. These distinctions just exist. And I believe that when we get there and arrive, there will be, we will be clothed in, the, in the, 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 the robes that we're given, of course. But there might be a little bit of a decoration that identifies those distinctions, which would be kind of cool. It's kind of like the other day when I pulled up beside a car and I saw a, a purple heart on it. And I knew immediately this is, a, this is a soldier who served in the military, but the distinction is he was wounded at some point for his service. Now, I know when I talk to some of the military guys, they're like, yeah, but, you know, some of these guys, they, the nephews of senators, they cut themselves shaving and they get one of those things. But, but the truth is, but the reality is that's a few. The majority of our soldiers who get the Purple Heart get it for being injured in the course of them serving their country. And so that's something to salute. You know, here's somebody who served 
for our freedom and was injured. Hey, it may be when we get to heaven, I'm going to dive in a little bit more here in a minute, but it may be when we get up there, we see these distinctions and you see, hey, there's an Old Testament saying, you know, because I got several of them I want to check in with when I get there. I've already reserved at the coffee shop <laughs> on Golden Street and something and third <laughs> to meet with a few people, you know, and um, from the Old Testament. Yeah. And then look, but you might see somebody is like, oh, man, you're 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 what I call a tribulation saying. Man, you, you, you were beheaded. I mean, you went through. Man, you're here. Oh, man, it's amazing. You know, it's good. I'm glad, glad y'all got through. But then they might look at us with amazement, too, because they're going to say, you are what I call a pre-tribulation saint, and that you came to faith when before all of that crazy stuff went on in a time where you just believe what you heard and you walk with him. You know, because Peter says, having not seen, yet we believe. And look, trust me, that's a big deal to God. Because he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And the just shall live by faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so in this age, those of us who are walking with him, you know, in the spirit and according to the word, having not seen all the, um, and you know, don't get me wrong, God does amazing things and we see miracles, but we didn't see the Red Sea part it necessarily, you know, <laughs> we didn't see, but we have walked with him by faith and that's a distinction. And all of these groups are in heaven now, and we, we can allude to that. So this first group, great multitudes singing, alleluia. But notice that as they're singing, or they're saying this, it says, I say singing, but they're saying it. They, they identify some attributes or some things about God before they get into why they are praising him. But, but before I get that, notice this word, alleluia. Um, it's spelled a little different. This word is only used four times in the New Testament, and all four of them are in chapter 19, which I like because I believe the Holy Spirit is saying that it's reserved for here because now the biggest praise ever is coming forth because all things have come to an end. God has judged uh, the world system, and Jesus is about to return, and everybody in heaven is about to celebrate this whole thing. And so this word, hallelujah, it comes from a compound Hebrew word, hallel, which means to praise, and yah, which is short for Yahweh, because Jews never write the whole name and they leave the vowels out because it's a sacred name. So we're not even sure how it's really originally supposed to be spelled, but it, it's hallel, yah, or praise Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the JD, uh, um, Judean Christian God, which means that this praise, this word, is not appropriate to be used in any setting or form where it's not targeted towards the praise of the only true God who created everything the God that we worship. So it wouldn't be appropriate to use in any other setting. In fact, around the world, the Christian church in every language celebrates by praising him in this way. Hallelujah. That's why we sung it earlier. Isn't that wonderful? It's universal. And when we get there, we'll praise him in this way. But notice they say, salvation, glory and honor, and power belong to our God. And I don't like to just fly through these things. Each one of these things is very important. Salvation belongs to our God because there is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ, the son of our, our God, right? Amen. There's no other name in the heaven by which men must be saved, but the name Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
and no man comes to the Father but, but by me and through me. And if you've seen the, me, you've seen the Father. If you've known me, you've known the Father. There is absolutely no way he is the doorway into the sheepfold um, and all of these things. There is no way to God but through Christ. And the cults get it wrong because they think that he's just another hurdle to jump, but there are other ways. And I say, no, you're wrong. You know, look, celebrities and and Hollywood people are saying there's many different ways. Whatever makes you feel good, change your gender, use different drugs, have any kind of wild sex you want, go after riches, do what makes you feel happy. It's about you and you should have it your way. And in all of this and and all this craziness, yet all of it leaves people devastated, empty and still without hope. And there's only one thing that solves the, the problem, the void, the yearning, the longing for something. And quite frankly, even as Christians, the distractions of this world sometimes hinder and draw us away. Then we have to come back and realize that I'm only satisfied when I'm close to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, when he's pouring his spirit fresh out upon me, when the word of God is sweet, I get salvation from him. I get satisfaction from him. All my needs are met in him. I am refreshed when I'm close to God. David says that before he repented, his bones were, were given, his vitality was going away. He was drying up. He was longing for refreshment. And when he repented, God renewed him because salvation is something that belongs to our God, and we can find it no other place. And it's good for us to know that because the world is void of hope and confused, yet we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Satan wants to silence us, you know. Social media wants to censor us. <laughs> I don't know, you can go on and on. It doesn't really matter. The power of the word can't be hindered. It can't be stopped, you know. And so notice here, glory and honor belong to our God. And this is something as a Christian church that we learn of more and more as we walk with him. Um, But it's important that we know it, that the glory and the honor always belongs to him, and we're never to take it upon ourselves. Peter was so afraid of this that when Acts chapter 3, when he healed the lame man going into the temple, and the lame man jumped up and went in the temple, leaping and praising that all the people ran to Peter and were looking at him. Y'all remember this? And Peter says, why are you looking at me like I did something? This Jesus whom you crucified did this. He was quick to get the glory off of himself and back on the Lord, which is something that we always must do because it be, we be get, it's very dangerous for us to begin to take the glory that's due to him. Down here on earth, this is what happens sometimes within the Christian church, and it is a dangerous thing. People like to get the preeminence, but it all belongs to Jesus. And this is one of the things that we try to learn and promote, even here at Calvary, is why you never really see a parking space with a pastor's or elder's name on it really close to the door. Or, you know, you might you not see those kind of things. We're learning and teaching and reminding ourselves that Jesus says, he who is greatest among you must be servant of all. And so, therefore, it's more important that we serve and make ourselves low um, because the org chart, as I always tell you, is very flat within Christianity, unlike corporate America in different places. Very, very flat. A flat org chart means there's not a lot of layers. In fact, there's only two. There's Jesus and then there's us. <laughs> I always tell you that. That's the way it works, okay? And so all the glory is his. And one thing is for sure, when we get to heaven, we ain't going to have no problem with that. Once we lay one eyes on the throne, and we're going to be falling down and worshiping for eternity. And we ain't going to want none of the glory when we get there because we're going to realize there's only one reason why we made it. And that's the blood of Christ. But down here, and this is very important, down here 
people forget and they get it twisted and the church can get off track. And because there's a sinful, there's a sinful part of us that wants to lift people up and sometimes even ourselves. They want to put people on pedestals and, you know, it's about a person or look what that person did. None of that, none of that in the church. And remember this. Paul was so adamant about this that he went to the church superstar who was Peter. Now, Peter wasn't trying to be a superstar, but, you know, many could look at him that way. And Paul got in his face when Peter was playing the hypocrite. Remember that? You know, he, he was, you know, many of us were like, that's Peter. I ain't going to correct Peter. But Paul did. And, and this is the thing that we need to remember always is that we are to, in the church, have this koinonia fellowship going on where when we are together, that the gifts that each one of us have are actually for the benefit of all of us so that when we're in fellowship, there are these things that happen like the, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge that we give to one another by the Spirit, um, the encouragement and the exhortation that comes by the Spirit, the teaching that goes forth from those who have the gift of teaching by the Spirit to others so others can learn and grow and be exhorted and be um, given some insights into things. Um, oftentimes in fellowship, uh, there's confirmations that come forth of the things that you've been praying about as you spend time with God, as God is doing a work in your life. That's why the, the, uh, the assembling together shouldn't be forsaken. It's very essential because it's something that God does in and through us when we are together, which we can't get when we're, we're not together. That's why Although you can flip the TV on a Sunday morning and, and have a plethora of options available to us now to watch on TV, all these different ministers, we can do that. But you still miss 90%, 90% of what the fellowship of the saints is all about. You can get a little bit of something through a teaching, but then when you fellowship, Things get cor corrected and worked out and wrinkles are ironed out as iron is sharpening iron and faithful are the wounds of a friend. And, and uh, one is being a blessing to another. There's more that comes from, from this thing. Look, the, the assembly is not just about you listening to a talking head. It's about all of the aspects of what happens at church. And, and this is why I say again, to be home and away from church for a whole year is something I could not imagine happening in the life of a believer, a whole year without the fellowship of the saints. You know, live stream can't replace that. And I don't know how I got off on all of that, but um, the next part of this is, and power belongs to the Lord our God. Notice that. Uh, the word is dunamis. It's the same word Jesus said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses unto me. Yes. So we do get the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us. Um, from God, but the power belongs to God. Essentially, all power belongs to God, the power to do everything. When I think about the power of God, even in his creation, the fact that the sun is still sitting there and it hadn't burned out yet, you know, you know, the stuff that the, the, the scientists still can't explain, but all this power comes from God. And when we see him, we're just going to worship him. And notice this now, verse two tells us why they are praising him right now. It says, for true and righteous are your judgments, or his judgments, excuse me, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and has avenged, her, avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. So one of the reasons why they're praising him here seems to be because of his true and righteous 
judgments against the great harlot, which is the mystery Babylon, which is the world system, if you will, that's um, led by Satan, if you will, as he works through the beast. It's the final global empire specifically that's being judged here, but it speaks of all of the major empires led by Satan through the years, the seven heads of the dragon, the seven heads of the beast. We've talked about that, right? And so this system now is being judged because this is the thing. True and righteous are his judgments in light of this system because when you look at the system of the world, it's, truth is getting swallowed up. There's so much deception in the world today. It's almost like if you tell the truth, is anybody even going to realize it is the truth anymore? What, where, where can you find it? And where is their true righteousness? Where do you find it? You don't find it in this world system that we just looked at in 18 and, uh, 17 and 18 that has been judged. It's corrupt. Last week, we looked at the fact that the, in this system, the, the, the noble ones, the, the great men of the earth were the merchants. And we talked about last week the contrast between the great men being the merchants and the common person being the merchants. It's kind of like the picture today of why it's hard for small businessmen to really, and business people, to thrive because the system is controlled and reg uh, regulated through this major system, this global system, which is coming together, and they're literally controlling everything. One of the things I pointed out to you last week, how the great computer genius has now the health expert, Bill Gates, and I talked about the fact that um, we talked about the biotech companies and they're, if you will, controlling the, the patenting seeds and controlling them and controlling the, how the farmers regulate and how they use them and all that kind of stuff. And then Wednesday night, I should have said this last Sunday, but Wednesday night in Isaiah, we were reminded that God said that he sends earth, a rain from heaven to earth and waters the earth that the earth would bud and bring forth seed to, to, for the sower, right? And it blew me away as we looked at that, that, wait a minute, God created, we talked about this, this self-containing system where he created, according to Genesis, everything with its seed within itself, right? We know that even Adam had his seed within him, obviously, and all humanity is birthed out of that first marriage, okay? Because marriage is something that God created between a man and a woman that they bring forth fruit to him. I don't want to get into that. Okay, all these other marital situations and gender changes that they're creating and doing doesn't bring forth any fruit. It has no, it doesn't, it doesn't, anyway. But he created all the vegetation with its seed within itself. And this is what I should have said last week. So here's the thing for the biotech companies and Bill Gates, who's now expanding his control of farmland. How can you patent and control something that you didn't create, which was created to reproduce freely? Now, how can you tell me I can't reproduce seeds from the previous year's uh, crop so that I can continue to split? That's, God never intended that to be controlled and manipulated. But in this system, Mystery Babylon, that we've been looking at, that is exactly what is happening in the world today. This system, though, they are celebrating in heaven because God just judged it. And he just destroyed it for, the, for, for its finality. It's done now. And not only because uh, of this system, notice that corrupted the earth with her fornication, meaning mystery Babylon, but also because she has shed the blood of the saints. She has persecuted, as we've learned, God's people, both Old and New Testament. Um, one of the distinct factors of these empires that, that, that make up this beast all the way back to Egypt, Assyria, all the way uh, down to this final revived Roman empire, which we call mystery Babylon, is that not only do they control the population 
of their empire, but they also persecute those who truly worship the God of heaven. And we see this. In other words, in, in this final empire, it looks at humanity as a, a, a slave race that is used and manipulated so that those who are controlling this continue to get wealthy in that type of system. And so we see the world system coming further and further into this global empire, which the beast will, will rule over through Satan. And John has told us that do not love it because it is passing away. Last chapter, God says, come out of her, my people. I have to remind you of that. But we're celebrating in heaven at this point because it's being destroyed. And again, they say hallelujah in verse 3. Um, again, they say hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. In other words, it's not just being judged and destroyed. It's going to be in constant torment. It's being cast into the lake of fire where forever and ever its smoke will rise. And we know that. It's going to be an eternal torment. And one of the things we're going to find in the next several chapters is that life is eternal, period. There are two resurrections. We're going to see this. There's the resurrection of those to life in Christ for eternity. Then there's a resurrection of the dead to eternal torment separated from God because they've rejected Christ. And we'll get into all of that. All right, verse 4. Y'all doing okay? Verse 4 tells us... uh, And the 24 elders, we hadn't seen those dudes in a while, and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen. In other words, we agree, and hallelujah, praise be our God. And so they come in, and these 24 elders, a representation of the the whole church, as it now seems to be a little bit of an intensifying in this praise service. And then verse 5 says, Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. Verse 6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, That's a repeat, but notice it adds as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, hallelujah, if you will, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. It seems now that there's even more of an intensifying worship service that's happening in heaven. It's going to be amazing. And it's just getting louder and more active. And it's just just amazing. We're going to be there one day. This is a future event which we will take part in. And it's going to be amazing, which is why it's good to be in church now learning the word. So when you get up there, you don't embarrass me. <laughs> you know, when the 24 elders worship, we fall down and worship with them. And you you won't be looking around like, what do I do with this crown? And why is everybody on the floor? And, um, you know, no, you, we, we studied this. You do, you're going to join in. Now, notice, though. He says, hallelujah here for the Lord God, God omnipotent reigns. That word omnipotent, if you're wondering, if you first time through scripture, we, 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 you probably heard this before, but it means he who is the sovereign ruler. So the Lord God, who is the sovereign ruler of all things, reigns. And this is a big deal. Because, you know, the scripture says that Satan is the little God of this world, right? So until now, he is, if you will, ruling uh, and, and doing these things, and he is harassing, and he's manipulating, and he, he'll do that until the time comes when his uh, power will be taken away from him. We know that. Um, we live in a time now where uh, Satan is active, but we are blessed to live in a time where that is a restrained power that he has. 
Because Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And we believe that is with, with the, the Holy Spirit within the church. And until he's removed as the church leaves, um, he'll be restrained. But during the tribulation period, there will be no restraining. And that's why the majority of those who come to faith during the tribulation period will lose their life. Um, now is the time to get saved. Verse 7. Verse 7 down, we begin to look at this wonderful marriage ceremony that's about to take place. Notice it says in verse 7, or that is taking place, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. Notice this, for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Two groups. First of all, the, mar uh, the marriage of the lamb has come. And we know who the lamb is, Jesus. John pointed to him in the Gospel of John and says, Behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Jesus likes to present himself in the book of Revelation as the lamb. He wants us to see him as the lamb because when we see him as the church, we have nothing to fear when we see Jesus. You know, he loves us. We're, we're his, we're, as about to learn, we're his, we're his bride right now. And so he wants us to see him in that way in which he gave his life to win us. And we see the Lord in that way often through scriptures. He is the lamb. Um, he is the, all of the Old Testament law was pointing to one lamb, one Passover lamb, one redeemer, one kindred redeemer, one, one all of these things. And it was Christ. And it's time for his marriage now. And his wife noticed she's made herself ready. Now, before I get into this, I've struggled with this a little bit in verse 7 and verse 8. There's two things. Number one, his wife has made herself ready. Well, what, how did she do that? You know, because, you know, how could she do that? Because without him, she's nothing. You know, but we got to get into this because this is what Jesus wants us to see. And he gave it to us even in the Gospels. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, alluded to a marriage between himself and the one whom he loved. And he used the Jewish wedding tradition to do that even when he was talking to his disciples. Now, remember, the Jewish wedding tradition is a beautiful thing. It starts with a uh, betrothal, which happens, usually arranged by the fathers. All right, The fathers usually arrange the wedding, and then there's a ceremony where the bridegroom and the bride um, they have the ceremony where they, they drink of a cup. They all are in agreement, the two families. They drink of a cup together. And then they don't drink of the cup together again until they celebrate at, their, at the uh, marriage supper celebration, okay, the, the, the feast. Um, so we, we know that. And so um, that's part of it. And then what will happen is the bridegroom will then leave that ceremony, and he will go back to his father's house to begin to prepare for his bride. She would begin to get herself ready by gathering all the things that she's going to need for her new marriage. And ladies, you can imagine that would be an exciting thing for a young Jewish girl to, and Mary was doing that, but you know, uh, she was preparing all of these things before she was found with child, of course. Um, and so uh, getting things together, you got stuff from grandma and aunt so-and-so and, and, you know, boxes of, of perfume and different things that you're getting together, really excited. This is going to be a 
wonderful thing um, because for Jewish women, to, uh, that was a big deal. Having a husband, a covering in that way, and having children meant you were blessed of the Lord. Okay, so this would be an exciting thing. The man, the bridegroom, is at his father's house building a place for them to live on his father's property until the day when his father would say, things are in order, go get your bride. He would get his boys, his bridegrooms, and they would go celebrating along the way, making noise and blowing trumpets to pick up his bride. Often it would be at night. She always had to be ready because she didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. They didn't have cell phones. He couldn't say, I'm on the way. Um, and, and so she and the bridesmaids had to be ready. And then he would take her to his father's house and then everybody would gather for the feast, and then when it was over and the marriage was consummated, he would present his bride to all the guests, his wife, I should say, to all the guests. Now, Jesus, Jesus shows up, and he says to the disciples at the Last Supper when he's a, about to institute the covenant in his blood, he says, guys, I won't drink of this cup with you again until I drink it anew in my father's house. Hint, hint, guys. And then he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus panned the dowry, if you will, panned for his bride with his own blood is what he's saying. Because the, 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 the groom would then, you know, the father, the groom, uh, and, and whatnot, they would pay the father of the bride a dowry, if you will. And then he says, I won't drink of this anymore until I drink it anew with you in my father's house. They leave the dinner and they go out, and, and then the guys begin to question Jesus. And Jesus said to them, listen, guys, I, I have to leave you and go back to my father's house. But don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So now I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. And I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be with me for all eternity. So the next part of the, of the tradition is Jesus is kind of fulfilling so that the guys, so the, the disciples could understand. So Jesus went off to heaven, and he's been preparing a place all this time. Jesus said to them that the day of the hour, nobody knows, not even the angels, not even the Son of Man. Only my Father in heaven knows. Guys, I need you to understand this, 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 this picture I'm giving you. In other words, I don't know when I'm coming for you until the Father tells me. Then when he tells me, then the Lord will descend from heaven himself with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, coming with his host and blowing the trumpets, coming to get his bride. And we don't know when that'll be. And then the bride will be caught up to meet him in the air, of course. And then he will take his bride back to his father's house for a marriage supper. For seven years while down here, all utter wrath is being poured out upon the earth. So it's time for this whole wedding thing to be wrapped up. His wife has made herself ready. This is a problem for me. How do I make myself ready? Without you, I can do nothing, Lord. Verse 8. Notice in verse 8, it even says, And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen... I'm okay with the fine linen because I, I know through Scripture the saints wear white and they're clothed in white robes in heaven. And I always assume that this is the righteousness of Christ. It's the righteousness of Christ. We're going to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ because the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. There is no righteousness outside of Christ. So I'm okay with that. But notice what he says. He says, for the fine linen is the righteous acts, plural, 
of the saints. But now I'm struggling. And like I know what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 when he picked up on the same thing. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I'm good with that too. That means that somehow Jesus is going to work out all the mess that's in this room because that's what we are and present the whole church perfect to himself. Because when I think about this, making, you know, the bride, she's made herself ready, the righteous acts of the saints. Look, I'm a spot or blemish in the bride, in my opinion, because I know myself. And if you would be honest, you would say the same thing. It's a bunch of mess in this room, isn't it? <laughs> There's spots and blemishes everywhere we look in this room. And yet he's saying the wife has made herself ready and the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. It sounds, the language is implying that there's some things that the bride has done of which are righteous acts that she is now being clothed by, if you will. And how can this be? And then this beautiful picture comes about. It's because Jesus is going to highlight the things that we have done in him because he's going to do a work in us in order to cause that to happen. And so then the picture is when Paul says that, listen, when every single person dies who is in Christ, when they're absent from the body, they're instantly present with the Lord if, they're, if you're born again. And we stand before Christ and give an account. We call it the Bema Seat Judgment. All Christians, all believers will stand before uh, the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And so when we die, we won't stand there as husband and wife. We won't stand there as families. We won't stand there as a congregation. You, me, individually, in our, in our own timing, stand before the Lord and give an account. And in another place, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says it looks like this. It says all of our works will be tried as though by fire. In other words, everything that we've done will be likened, Paul says, to wood and hay and stubble and silver, gold and precious stones. And it all together, my life in Christ goes in the fire. And those things of which I did in my selfishness and in my pride and in my own ambition and, and maybe where it was not really loving or maybe rebellious or, you know, or times when we have fallen and, and sinned, all of that stuff that we've done as believers, it would be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. And only those things that we've actually done in him by his spirit, according to his word, will be purified like gold, silver, and precious stones and come out of the fire. So when the process is done, however you want to look at it, by the washing of the water of the word, by the fire, however you want to look at it at this point, when it's all said and done and you stand before him, the only thing left is the righteous acts of the saints. And then we'll say, well, yeah, we did do righteous acts, but then we know that we only did it by the, the, the unction of his spirit so therefore, we fall back down before him and worship some more because of his, his, who he is and what he's done. So this beautiful bride, this wife now, as we get to verse 7 and 8, is the collection of believers since the church began until we finally stand before him. And we will be a perfect wife, but it's all going to be because of the work that he's done. 
hard for us to fathom and understand, but it motivates us as we leave here today and we go through this week uh, to, to say, Lord, you know, work in me. I want to surrender myself to you today to give you an opportunity to work in me because, look, outside of you, Jesus, I'm a mess filled with spots and blemishes, <laughs> you know, and we need to be honest about that. But the work that he does is amazing in us, and only he can do it. And so we surrender to him now as we're way over time. Um, as the worship team comes up, bow your heads um, where you are. And Father, we do thank you today, Lord, for what you have given us today in your word, Lord. I pray that you would uh, rebuke the enemy for our, on our behalf, that he would steal none of that which has been sown, that it would take root in our hearts and produce fruit. We need that from you, Lord. And even now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you, in this room, if you've never given your life, as we say, to Christ, meaning that you felt the conviction, even in the room today in your heart, but you've never answered that call, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ. Salvation is a miracle. It's not based upon the eloquence of a man or where you are physically. It's just based upon God tugging on your heart, revealing to you that you need him and drawing you. And you're responding in faith. And if you do that and you say today, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my way and I want to turn to you and receive the forgiveness of sins and the, and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the, the gift of eternal life. And if that's what you have come to the conclusion of as I've been talking here, raise your hand where you are so that the Lord will receive you and the Lord will save you. And Lord, we thank you today for all that you've done. We love you. I ask that you would be with us as we go through this week. Keep us in our cars, our homes, our jobs, our schools, wherever it is that we go, the marketplace, that you would be with each family and each individual. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand and let's sing as we close. God bless you all.